If you will turn with me to Psalm 103. wonderful psalm of David we're going to consider this morning and we're not going to make it through the entire psalm but I think that we're going to get some important lessons from this this morning I am going to read the entire psalm however psalm 103 psalm of David bless the Lord O my soul and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed, he made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children to such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts. Ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Here we see in this psalm, once again, David preaching to himself, speaking to himself in this meditation, encouraging his own heart to bless the Lord. And from this, we can learn that this is going to be necessary for ourselves as well. We who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, having the same spirit of faith, we must also do this. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This blessing must be from your very heart, your heart of hearts. He repeats it over and over again. It isn't something shallow. It isn't something temporary. It isn't something just thoughtless of a moment. It's something that he's devoted to, to the deepest reaches of his mind and his heart. He wants to bless the Lord. He wants to bless the Lord, and he's going to do this by remembering all his benefits. 
he encourages his heart to not forget. And that's important because we have a tendency to forget, don't we? We see that over and over again in the scripture. Where God's people get into trouble is when they forget. We see this with the people of Israel in the wilderness. We see this in the churches in Revelation. We're to, we, we tend to forget. So David here is going to encourage himself to not forget. So we have to ask ourselves this question before we even start. Are blessing the Lord, bless the Lord, and bless his holy name, does that really have any value to God? I mean, what is our blessing really worth? We know God's blessing is valuable, infinitely valuable, to be blessed by God. And God's thoughts toward you are wonderful and priceless. But how does God value our blessing? What does he think about our thoughts toward him? Are they important to God? They are very important to God. The whole point of redemption is to reconcile us to our creator. He does care. And it doesn't seem reasonable that a being like the creator of the universe would have any concern at all for little pipsqueak nothings like us. But he created us in his image. He created us specifically with the purpose of knowing him, to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. And it gives God pleasure to do this. It pleases God. It honors God. It glorifies God. There is a communion that takes place between the soul and God. That is what redemption is all about, to bring us back to God, because he does want us. So our blessing of God does matter. He does see it, and it pleases him. These feelings are mutual. The feelings that the soul taken up with God, feel toward God, are mutually expressed from God to us. It says in Zephaniah chapter 317, this is what the Lord says, what the Holy Spirit says. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty, he will save, he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. That's how God feels about his people. There's love and enjoyment that God has toward us. So remember this in your meditation of God. And in your seeking God, it is not in vain. It is not in vain to seek the Lord. To have God as your chiefest treasure. God knows this. And it pleases him. What David is going to do here to help himself. In blessing the Lord. And in not forgetting. Is he's going to go through. These many benefits. That he has having the Lord as his God. The first one 
he covers in verse 3. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Who healeth all thy diseases. Now let's consider that. Verse 3. He starts with forgiveness. Now why does he start there? He could have started with a lot of things. But he chooses forgiveness. And this is very important that he does. Because this is the foundation of everything else. When it comes to having this relationship with God. And having the Lord as our God. Now that we are fallen in Adam. Forgiveness is required to have any fellowship with God. So that's where he begins. Forgiveness is the basis of our relationship. If you'll look at Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7, and David is going to refer to these verses here in this psalm. When Moses asked to see God's glory, when he asked that God would reveal his name, the Lord agreed to do that. And what the Lord said is this. He set Moses in the cleft of the rock. Says that the Lord descended in the cloud and proclaimed the name of the Lord. In verse 6, the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. Here we have the Lord. He reveals his name, and he is a God of love and justice. He is a God who is patient but will execute vengeance, but he has provided a way of redemption. Our sins have separated us from God, but God didn't leave us in that condition. When that scripture was given to Moses, remember that in the context, God ordained a tabernacle to be erected. He gave all the regulations for it. And the purpose of that tabernacle was to teach the people that there is a way to reconciliation with God, but it must come through blood. That there had to be a sacrifice. There Moses built an altar. He was going to build the, the lampstand and the table of showbread. And inside the Holy of Holies, there's the Ark of the Covenant. And it was only one way to fellowship with God. And that was through that sacrifice. But there is forgiveness available. The redemption that God would bring, the final and total redemption, typified by that. There was guilt that had to be taken away before we could have this relationship with God. And that's the reason why David starts with this. And he rejoices in this forgiveness. Remember that David himself 
made a big deal. It was a huge part of his life to get that Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. It was a big part of his life to see that everything was ordered and arranged to get that temple built there on Zion. Because that temple represented something so wonderful. Everything that David depended on, it typified the coming of the Messiah. Not only are we guilty, we're also diseased. He says, he forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. And I don't believe he's talking about physical diseases here. I think he's talking about spiritual diseases. That's the worst kind of disease you can have. Sin has not only made us guilty before God. Sin has not only separated us from our God. Sin has also corrupted us. It's twisted us into something bent and evil. That human beings created in the image of God could fashion images of idols made of mud, made of wood, and bow down and worship those things. What a total inversion of what a human being is supposed to be. We were supposed to know our Creator and to be so completely cut off from God that we worship dead things. Not even real animals, fake animals. That's how corrupted and ruined the human race is. Diseased souls. But God has healed those. For those who believe in him. This is promised by the coming of the Messiah. If you'll look in Isaiah chapter 53, one of the great promises fulfilled in the coming of Messiah. And look at the things that Messiah has achieved. These things that were promised ahead of time by Isaiah. In verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. It is by his stripes that we are healed. It is the only way we could be healed. And there is a spiritual healing that comes for those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of you can remember when you believed and how blind you were to reality and how it was like a fog and a cloud in your mind and how when the Lord Jesus rescued you out of that, how you could see things clearly, how you could see the truth about sin and righteousness. You could see the truth about who you really were and the things you had really done or before you were blind to it. And even now, as a believer, as you are traveling on this path, of sanctification 
more and more you're aware of your faults and your defects and where you fall short of God's will. You can see clearly the truth. You see the things that still need healed. Because we're not perfect yet. We're still waiting for that. There's a sense in which we are perfect. In Christ, we are sanctified. You are holy. You are pure and clean and acceptable to the Father in Christ Jesus. Your sins have been put away forever. That death on the cross paid for all your sins. And in God's sight, you're clean. He has, he has counted Christ's righteousness to you. He sees Christ's righteousness on you. Because you're in Christ. And in Christ, you're perfect. But, He's going to also change you more and more to be conformed to the image of Christ. You are holy in Christ, but he's going to make you actually holy too. And you are going to be sanctified. And this old man that we still have dwelling within us is more and more being mortified, more and more being put to death. More and more the image of Christ is going to come shining out from you in your life. That's the only way we can be the salt of the earth. That's the only way we can be the light of the world. There is no good in us that is in our flesh. In ourselves, there is no good thing. But he that dwells within you is greater than he that dwells in the world. And your fruit comes from him. So this healing comes in truth to those who believe he forgives all thine iniquities who healeth all thy diseases he's not going to let you remain if you've got a hang up in your life if you belong to the lord he's not going to let that stay there he's going to deal with it and that's a good thing because if he didn't if he lets you go on in your sins then that means you don't really belong to him. You're illegitimate in that case. But God's children, he's going to deal with. He's going to train you. He's going to teach you. He's going to sanctify you. He does this out of his love. And this is something that, that David praises God for and blesses God for. In verse 4, David says this, Who redeemeth thy life from destruction... Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Many times in the scripture, um, being redeemed out of an earthly danger or calamity, that term redeemed from is being used. Like when the people were brought out of actual slavery in Egypt. There, there is a sense in which God redeems us from troubles, earthly troubles. But this all was intended to point to the greatest danger that we have, eternal destruction. And that's what the great redemption is. He redeems our lives from destruction. 
In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the, the riches of his grace. You remember in Egypt, when God brought his people out, how were they delivered? It was through the blood. They had to put that blood on the lentils, on the doorposts of their homes. And when the death angel saw the blood, he passed over them. And in that way, they were redeemed. And it's the same thing today. We know that that picture applies spiritually to everyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. You have that blood counted to you. You're redeemed. And he crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He not only rescues you from terrible danger, but he, place, he places his blessing on you, crowns you with it. It's your glory. It is your glory to have God's love upon you. See, God honors his people. Gives you the best. The scripture says, I has not seen it, ear, has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. He loves you and he's going to do wonderful things for you. The things, and, and I know, I was thinking the other day, you know, if God never gave me any more than he's already gave me, I would be eternally grateful. When I think about what I already have in Christ Jesus. But think about this. He's got way more coming. And it's hard to believe. Because we, are, we have it so much in us to think that, you know, we, we only get what we deserve. Or that we got to work for or earn. But that isn't the way God has bestowed his love. He gives it to us despite us. He doesn't give this to us because we merited it. He chose to love us first. It isn't dependent on your worthiness. And all the wonderful blessings you already have experienced in Jesus Christ are just a foretaste of wonderful things to come. And that ought to motivate you to bless the Lord with all your soul, with all your mind. See, now it requires faith. We have to trust God's promises. There's times in this life where you're going to get shaken up. And maybe it's going to cause you to start doubting those things. God has not exempted us from trouble in this life. Just like we heard this morning, that afflictions and troubles that God has sent in our lives are not because he's changed his mind. And now he hates us. It's the same love that sends those afflictions. It's the same love that sent those afflictions into your life that sent Jesus into your life. It flows from the same love. You've got to remember that. When that affliction hits you, recall that to mind. This is the same God, the same love. And I will bear it. And I will bear it joyfully because I know that it is for his glory and for my good. And it takes faith to do that. 
Unsaved people can't do that. They don't have a heart that can do that. They can't see that. They can't believe that. But you can do that because you've been born of God. You're different. A new creation. You're able to do things unbelievers can't do. Like this. Like David is doing here. Look at verse 5. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Satisfieth thy mouth with good things. What's he talking about? I think he's talking about the words, promises, blessings, and commands of God. These are good things. And think about it. What did, what did the scripture say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is the word of God that gives you life. Gives life to your soul. The true life. Fills your mouth with good things. Think about the promises of God. Think about when you sing the word of God. Think about when you're in that trial. And you utter to yourself the promise of God to you. And your youth is renewed like the eagles. You find life. Flooding into your soul. Yeah, our bodies are decaying. But our souls live. Get stronger every day. It's the word of God that does this. God's promises. His blessings. And his commands. We rejoice in God's commandments. When we can take God's commands and. In faith, you can do them. You can do the things that God has said. You can love your enemies. You can bless those who curse you. You can do good to those who hate you. Impossible things that you can do by miraculous power because it's the word of Christ. And he has put his word into your heart. He's filled your mouth with good things. His own word. Many times in scripture, Receiving the word of God by faith is compared to eating the word of God, right? And so that isn't an unusual thing. And your youth will be renewed like the eagles. It doesn't bother us that we see things decay and die around us. And even our own flesh. Because we believe in the resurrection. Just like the Holy Spirit has already been given as a down payment. And we know the Holy Spirit. We know his works in our life. And so we know that everything else God has promised is going to come to pass. He's already given us a foretaste of the glory to come. And so we see a dying world. We're not broken hearted over that because we know according to the word of God, he's going to bring it all back to life again. We live on a planet that's poisoned and dying. But God has promised he's going to bring it back. He's going to make everything right. And we look at us, we deal with sickness, we deal with aging, and we know that we're going to be raised from the dead, glorified just like our Lord, where death has no power, the curse has no power, 
where sickness has no power. The curse is taken away forever. We live by these promises. You live by these promises. This is what keeps you alive right here. This is what you need. More than physical food, you need this to keep your soul alive. And when you go without this, what happens? You can feel yourself getting weak, can't you? Feel yourself getting sick. A little threadbare. Because this is what keeps you alive spiritually. You've been born of God by the word. And it is the word that keeps you. So be much in it. You got to eat food every day, don't you? Keep your body going. Well, need this every day too. This is what keeps your soul going. This is what keeps your spirit going. Shouldn't this take priority? You know, we got hobbies. We got things we enjoy, entertainments. And those are things that give us pleasure and we take enjoyment in. But uh, that should always be secondary to living, <laughs> to being alive. And that's what we need is the word of God to live spiritually and to flourish and grow. And this is what David is saying here. He satisfied. God satisfies our mouth with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Now look at verses 6 through 7. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. David here, what David really is meditating on here is the love of God. And one of the ways God expresses his love is through justice. And through him intervening in the lives of his people. The rod of evil men will not remain on the just, the scripture says. He will intervene and he will act. He is a God of justice and he's a God of power. Not just sappy sentimentalism. A God who cares but can't do anything about it. We don't have a God like that. We have Jehovah. Mighty God. He is gracious and merciful and long-suffering. But he will not clear the guilty. He does execute vengeance. Says here, he executed righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He will enter into this world and make things right. There is a just judge on the throne who rules over all. It can be very depressing in this life to see injustice. When we witness people who are supposed to do righteousness and justice do the opposite. People who are supposed to defend the innocent oppress the innocent and people who are supposed to punish the wicked reward the wicked we see that we live in a fallen world and men fall short men in authority fall short 
of God's glory. But God is going to make all things right. He has done it in the past. God has left us many examples in the scripture to encourage our hearts. I bring up again the people of God in Egypt. And the government they lived under was a wicked government. It was ruled by a tyrant, Pharaoh. He did not care for these people. He exploited them and abused them. Murdered their children. Remember that? He told them all the little boys that were born, they had to throw them in the Nile River. Genocide. Because he was scared he might lose his power. That's a wicked, that's a wicked ruler. And God didn't let that go. He intervened. And people think, because it's been a long time, since God has done such a thing, it can't happen. That's a big mistake. God has done that many times through history. And we know at the end of the world, he will do it again, one final time. When all the nations of the world rise up to erase the word of God from the face of the earth, and to erase God's people because it's an obstacle to making man God, God's going to intervene. That's when it's going to be over. There's a day coming. Judgment day. He made known his ways unto Moses and his acts unto the children of Israel. All of these things are inscripturated for the purpose of us knowing them and also having faith, like Moses. And remember what God said to Moses when he revealed his name. David repeats it here in verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. That's what David is calling back to his mind as what God said there in Exodus. He's taking hold of that promise by faith. He's doing exactly what we're supposed to do. Taking hold of the word of God. Believing it. Acting on it. Finding his strength in that. The Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger. And plenteous in mercy. Think about that. When God wanted to reveal his true nature. This is what he revealed. God is love it's because god is love that he is holy that he does execute righteousness that he does punish sin all of that flows from god's love those things aren't in spite of his love they're because of his love So I want to think about that a little bit. God's love. One thing we have to remember is God's love is patient. Like it says here, he's slow to anger. He says he will not always chide. That word chide is an old word. It just means to express anger or disappointment. God is slow to anger. Patient and long-suffering. 
And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. Here we see in this text the Lord waiting. The Lord is long-suffering. We know that uh, he gives space to repent. It's the reason why Judgment Day hasn't come yet. Foolish men take that as a weakness in God. And abuse God's patience. It's a foolish thing to do. The scripture says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. The door of grace is still open. The word of God, the word of God's promise of mercy and forgiveness is still going out to the world. And we have to be careful not to write people off as beyond hope. We have to remember a man named Saul of Tarsus. You know, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord Jesus came to him and said, I want you to go to this certain house. And you're going to find this man, Saul of Tarsus. And I want you to lay hands on him and heal him. And uh, I said, well, Lord, I've heard about this guy. <laughs> he's a bad guy. Look at all the bad things he's doing. He's doing bad things to us. They believe in you. See, Ananias didn't see any hope for Saul of Tarsus. What did the Lord say? Go, he's a chosen vessel for me. I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Send Ananias to lay hands on him. Baptize him. Saul of Tarsus, a changed man. The enemy of Christ became a lover of Christ willing to lose everything for Jesus Christ willing to give up everything for God's people willing to sacrifice the rest of his life whatever dreams and ambitions he had he gave them up so he could serve God's people God's love is amazing. It's patient. It's a good thing He's patient with us. Even as believers, we mess up. Sometimes we get off track. And He doesn't always chide. He's very gentle and merciful. If He deals with us in discipline, it's only because we need it. And that chastisement is good for us. Teaches us the way of righteousness. He trains us because he loves us. Like a father loves his son. Wants his son to grow up and be strong and do right. God wants the same thing for us. He's very patient. Remember that God's love is unmerited. It started with him. He chose us before we were born. He loved us. Before we had done good or evil. You couldn't earn his love at the beginning. You can't earn it now. And that's a good thing. That is a solid foundation for faith. 
to know it's not dependent on you, the love of God. He chose to love you. Unmerited. You didn't earn it, and by your own strength, you can't keep it. He keeps you because he loves you. God's love is better than life. That's what David says in Psalm 63. Your love is better than life. That's the reason why so many people are willing to lay down their lives for the gospel. Because they believe that. Life is very precious, isn't it? You don't realize how precious it is until it's in danger. Maybe some of you have experienced that before. Maybe you saw, you know, that you're about to get in a terrible car crash. Something happens unexpected. You find out you've got a, in a serious illness. I mean, we kind of take life for granted until now there's a risk to it. And we're in danger of losing it. But David's able to say your love is better than life. What is life without God's love? Can you imagine that? Those of you that have tasted the goodness of God? What would it be if you could live for another 100 years, 200 years, but you could not have the love of God? Would it be worth it? No. We've got to remember that in the day of testing. Because it might be that we're called to lay down our life for Christ's name's sake. Right now as we speak in other parts of the world, men, women, and children are losing their life rather than deny Christ. As we speak, on this day, there's a Christian being murdered because he will not deny his Lord and Savior. Because Christ's love is better than life. You can't keep your life in this world anyway. But God's love is forever. God's love is unchanging. One of the Psalms that I really love, Psalm 89, there's some verses here, wonderful promises for believers those who belong to Jesus Christ. And, and here we see the Lord speaking to the Christ, God speaking to the Christ. And in verse 24, God says this about Christ, but my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand also in the sea and his right hand in the rivers. He shall cry unto me, Thou art my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also, I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will I make to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. If his children forsake my law, and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. Once have I sworn by my holiness 
But I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever in his throne as the sun before me. See, these are all promises typified in David and his children, but meant ultimately and truly for Christ and for us. Here we see Christ and his beloved, his saints, called in scripture his seed. And how God has promised that he's going to have his people. And as long as God's throne endures, God's people will endure. And even when they mess up, he's not going to break his covenant. It's a wonderful promise to have from the Lord. If it were dependent on us, we would have no hope. I know I don't have any confidence in myself to be able to do everything just right. But I could trust in my God. He will not forsake me. He started this. God started this in my life. And he's going to finish it. I have no doubt. Because I believe these scriptures. I believe these promises. God's love is unchanging. God's love is limitless. We read earlier John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. That could be translated, for God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. God put no limits on his love. Think about that for a second. If God put no limit on his love, are you going to set limits? Are you willing to set a limit on how much love you're going to show God? Are you setting a limit on, well, I'll obey this far, but I can't go no farther than this. We cannot have limits. God's love is limitless. He sent his very best. He sent his only begotten son. The son of God is God's love. There's no greater way God could show his love for you. If you ever wonder if God loves you, remember Christ. And remember the cross. Because there's no greater way he could express it. What else more could God do? There is nothing more. That is the ultimate expression of love. A limitless love. And it's eternal. Because Jesus is risen from the dead. To be your Lord and Savior forever. To reconcile you to God forever. To be your wisdom and your righteousness and your sanctification forever. God put no limit on his love. He gave you everything. And if that's true, let's respond in kind. I don't want to limit how much love I'm willing to give back to God. Now, I'm a mere human being. I can never repay God I ain't even come close. Not even the tiniest percentage of repaying God, everything he's done for me. But I want to have it settled in my mind. I will have no limit. I will have no limit to what I'm willing to do to obey God. I'll have no limit to how far I've got to go 
to be faithful to the Lord. And we can fool ourselves here. Remember Simon Peter. He committed to this. Remember? He said, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. I got no limits. But then he gets off by himself. The little girl starts asking him too many questions. He found out that he, he did have limits. Limits he wasn't really aware of. And we can't trust our own resolve. We have to trust in the Lord to bring us through that moment of truth. You're going to have a moment of truth in your life. If you haven't already. The limits of your love are going to be tested. God wants you to know what's in your heart. But remember, he wasn't done with Simon Peter. Remember what Christ asked him? Do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And he did. Christ restored him. Put him back to work. So God has shown us a limitless love. Let's resolve in our hearts to have no limits. If you set a limit, be sure that's exactly where that temptation is going to hit you. Well, I'm willing to do anything, but I ain't willing to go to prison. Right? Willing to do anything, but I ain't willing to, you know, get killed. Brothers and sisters can't do that. His love is better than life. It's better than money, better than reputation, better than breathing the common air. His love is more valuable than all these things. And if it requires us to give those things up, to continue in our communion and fellowship with Him, it's worth giving up. God's love is loyal. And he will strengthen us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. The Lord says this, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. You're going to face these temptations, but the Lord is faithful to you. He's loyal to you. Remember that our God rules providence. Things don't happen by random. They don't happen by chance. It's not coincidence. It isn't the devil pulled something off that God is unaware of. Anything that comes into your life, God is aware and God has ordained it. And he's not going to allow anything to come into your life above what you're able to bear. Trust in him. Be faithful. He's faithful. He's going to make a way of escape for you. There's a way to overcome every temptation that's promised from God. There's things come up in your life. You say, there ain't no way out of this one. I've just got to sin. Right? 
that can't happen. Because God says here it can't happen. There's always a way out without sinning. Well, the only way I can see out without sinning is dying. Then that's the way. The way you go is the way that's not sin. And it might be that that's the door that God has set in front of you. But it's the right one. If it's the one without sin. He will be loyal to you. And he will strengthen you. At that time you need. Turning back to Psalm 103. Look at verse 11. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. He has taken away all the obstacles between you and himself. There is nothing to interfere with your fellowship with the Lord. The greatest obstacle was your sin. And God has removed that so that you can walk in righteousness. So that you can walk in the light and communion of the Holy Ghost. So you can have this rejoicing in your heart that David has. You see, when you have guilt conscience, you can't have peace. You ever been burdened with guilt? What does guilt bring? Brings fear. Brings shame. You can't have close communion with somebody you've wronged and you feel guilty and ashamed and there's estrangement that comes from that. But God has made a way of reconciliation through the cross That veil that separated us from God has been torn from top to bottom through the cross of Jesus Christ. There is now no obstacle between your soul and God. And nobody can separate you from the love of God. You cannot be separated from the love of God. Doesn't matter how much the devil hates you. Doesn't matter what the world thinks about you. Nobody can separate you from the love of God. Something God has done. And what God has joined together, let no man separate. How about that? We learn that about marriage, don't we? That's how, yeah, what what God has joined together, let no man separate. And see, there's a deeper thing about that. Let's talk about Christ and his church. What God has joined together, nobody can separate. As far as east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. You remember in the Old Testament, it was the scapegoat. That was the picture of that. The people of God had to come and and on the Day of Atonement, confess their sins, and the priests would lay the sins on this goat. And then they would take that goat way out into the wilderness and let it go. And that goat would carry their sins far away. 
never to be seen again. And see, that was a picture of how God takes away our sins. Gone forever. Never again an obstacle. And look at this in verse 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. He does care for us. He has compassion. When you suffer, God feels it. God knows these things and he has pity. He cares. God wants you to know that. That's why he's put this here. He is not cold, hard, and unfeeling. The atheists, they don't have anything like this. The atheist conception of man is just a accident of biochemistry. And we live in a random universe where nothing has any ultimate meaning. You're a blob of goo. You're here for a little while and then you're gone and it doesn't matter. And the fact that you are self-aware is a curse and not a blessing because there's nobody to call on. You cry out into the void because there's no God to answer you, no God to redeem you, no God to rescue you. You're all alone. That's the atheist universe. Praise God that that isn't real. That's a horrifying thing. I can't think of anything worse than that. To be a conscious, self-aware being. And to know there is no God. That's not what we have. We have a Heavenly Father that is love. Who cares. Who feels pity. And who intervenes. Who is not powerless, but does come into this world. And into history and acts for the good of those who believe in Him. He knoweth our frame he remembereth that we are dust. We were created from the dust. I saw this thing, I can't remember, it was an article. <laughs> and it was scientists, they were doing research on what the human body is made of. And they, they came up with this amazing discovery that we're, our bodies are actually the same stuff that dirt is made out of. They were very amazed at this. Look at this, the human body, it's, like it's almost like it's dirt. Like, yeah, how about that? It's exactly what God said. We are dust. We are small. We are weak and frail. He remembers that. He, God remembers that you're not strong. God remembers that you're not smart. We're not smart. How much like we would like to think that. We're not. We're not all that smart. And we're certainly not strong. But we have a wonderful God who is strong and who is wise, who is smart. He has compassion on us and he cares about us. So God has revealed to David here his name. David knows God's name. See, that's what it is to know God's name. It's to know who God is. How God has revealed himself through the scriptures, through his actions in history. He knows the heart of God. That's what it is to know God's name. And God has revealed to us his name. 
And that's so we can trust in his name and call upon his name. Let's finish up by looking at Psalm 91. At the very end of Psalm 91. Here is a psalm, again, written to Christ and us in Christ. All these promises find their yes and amen in Christ. And because we're in Christ, these promises belong to us. There's a lot of wonderful promises here. But look at verse 13 through 16. Here he is talking to Christ and through Christ to us. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder. The young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him. And show him my salvation. Let's take these things to heart. Be encouraged. Remember the Lord's name. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And remember, tell your soul, bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name.